Welcome to the Undead Wookiee Podcast, episode 83. Close Encounters of a Third Kind from 1977. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times when we dip into other genres, because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. I am your host as always, Hugh Lloyd. And before I introduce my incredible special guest co-host, let's check out the trailer for Close Encounters of a Third Kind. Indianapolis, Aries 31 has traffic 2 o'clock, slightly above... Can you say aircraft type? Uh, negative center, uh, no distinct outline. Tell you the truth, the target is rather brilliant. Wait a second, he's heading right for my windshield. The traffic is approaching head on. Ultra bright and really moving. And right by us, right now. That was really close. 31, do you wish to file a report of any kind of it? I wouldn't know what kind of report to file, center. This is nuts. What do you want? I just want to know that it's... it's really happening. We had a close encounter. A close encounter with something very unusual. Who are you, people? Boys! One, two, three. I'm seeing this shape. Damn it, I know this. I know what this is. This means something. What did you expect to find? An answer. back ladies and gentlemen and i am joined it's been a little while by the one the only mr leighton winston how the devil are you sir how you doing man how's it going in these sweltering unusual times yet again <laughs> hot hot yeah i mean it the, is a bit hot i'm in the hottest part of the you know in the attic recording because of course that's where the you know you most sensible option is to stick anywhere where you you know can't have any windows open um so yeah i'm uh sweaty <laughs> even more so even more so even than normal so. even more so than normal <laughs> just like uh, some kind of like slick as i move it <laughs> what an image what an image 
like the aliens in the Simpsons. Yeah. Clans. <laughs> <Yeah>. Kodos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, we are talking about, um, well, I think it's, you know, a seminal science fiction classic, but not in the usual sort of space opera kind of science fiction way. I think we're talking about real science fiction here. We're talking Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind from 1977. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. The quick disclaimer, during this period in 2020, um, I've watched this film twice during lockdown, shielding, whatever, which term, whichever you want to use. Um, simply because it was one of those ones that sort of migrate to every now and again. And I watched it quite early on and blown away again by it. And then, I, like much like a lot of other people probably, I bought myself a new TV. Because, <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't going anywhere or doing anything, so I bought a new TV. And then rewatched it then in 4K and a bigger screen and better sound, and again, blown away, again. Yeah, and I mean, it's it is a phenomenal, phenomenal visual feast. Yes, and it's, um, I think it still it still stands up to this day. Even that, you know, even when you look at the theatrical release of it, without all the singing and all the dancing, it still stands up. Yeah, it's um, it's. For that, especially for sci-fi at that time, because pretty much now Star Wars comes out the same year. Yeah. You know, um, both are, all right, I'm going to use the term loosely with, with regards to Star Wars. Both are original films, aren't they? Albeit that Star Wars is a ripoff of a million things <laughs> bastardized together to give you this wonderful whole but this is an original story, isn't it? Albeit that it's based on a, 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 um, Spielberg's first film that he made. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, um, I, what I love about this as well is that it does mix in bits of the truth or bits of like real incidences and real myths and real sort of like things that actually happened. And they sort of, bl- and it's so well blended. It's never, there's never that sort of yeah. like. Aha! Here are the planes no, that went missing no. the Bermuda Triangle, and here is the yeah. ship that you know, went missing. Yeah, so well done. Th- th- you know, it does do it. It does. It does do things perfectly in as much that there is suggestion. There is this. This. This thing happened. There is this thing happened. And you know, these things all are connected. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's Spielberg's. I think this is. The, the, the only film he's written and directed, I, I think he's written other films that he hasn't directed or yeah. he's produced or whatnot. But yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is, I'm, I didn't make a note of it, I'm pretty sure, saying that um, this was the first and only film that he's written and directed. Yeah, well, Paul Schrader did an initial draft of the script. He yes. Did, he turned yeah. in an initial, uh, initial uh, script. And Spielberg wasn't overly keen on it and then sort of took it away and sort of just wrote it, sort of changed so much of it that Schrader sort of took his name off the project. 
And then yeah. Spielberg said, well, actually, I've done most of the writing on this. I'm going to yeah. firelight. Yeah, firelight is the short like, film. Firelight yeah, is the short film. Uh, 1964. Yes, I remember yeah. the doc, the Spielberg documentary. He um, He's taken like for like shots from that and yeah. actually incorporated it into uh, Close Encounters. And um, it sort of got me wondering a little bit because whilst... Spielberg's canon is exceptional compared to a, an awful lot of filmmakers. He's all right, me. <laughs> He's not bad at all, is he? Um, he he does have that little bit of whimsy and wonder that he puts in an awful lot of his films. Yes, but the thing is, I don't think it's been articulated. I don't want to say it as as perfectly because. I think if you can, if you look at, and I will come on to this, if you look at a certain period of Spielberg, say seventy one to eighty five, yeah, eighty six, yeah, there's films peppered in there with awe, wonder, excitement, exhilaration, sadness, and all yeah. that. And it's, and the thing is, you could attribute that to to Pooley, to just to ET, all of those things just to ET, right? Yeah, but yet. Close Encounters, although it's got that Americana to it, yeah, despite yeah. being a global film, ultimately, yeah, it has that Americana to it, yeah, and it just it, it's it's a different beast. It's a different beast, especially to ET, which I think is probably its closest companion. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right there, and I don't think it's just from the science fiction point of view. I think it's sort of. I think out of sort of when you look at Spielberg's films, there is all you know, not so much in his later sort of his later period, um, or where he is now, but actually when you look at like E.T., Close Encounters, even Jaws, you look at you know Poltergeist, even you know mm-hmm. his obsession with the the nuclear family and the breakdown of the nuclear family, yes, and like. Yes. The idea of um, the nuclear family being put in this this sort of you know the, these exceptional circumstances, yeah. Um, but I think where Close Encounters really really differs from that is actually Richard Dreyfuss's character, his family, kind of disappears pretty much. Yeah, it's 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 just and I went into the film. It is. Yeah, they it's just they're gone, way. they're gone. Yeah, but yeah. I I think what this is, you know, I think Close Encounters is a true examination of the of the total breakdown of the nuclear family, which Spielberg is, which Spielberg obviously went through as a kid himself. Yeah, yeah, and it and it, it's quite that well known regarding his daddy issues. Isn't it? Well, everybody has issues within families, don't they? You oh know? God, yeah. Of absent this, that, and other, and you know, personal experience gone through such a thing. And, um, but what I find especially with close encounters, because you should forget in ET, the father isn't in it at all. No, no, it's only the mother and the, and the siblings. Here, the father is seen to separate entirely, mm. as you say, and then you know, the family just go. And that, and that that's that first hour is the this the 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 nucleus totally breaking down. Yeah. And you know it 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 is 
a sad period and it is you know quite melancholic and it, it is upsetting but there's a pivotal moment where it just tilts entirely oh yeah yeah and you know should we should we get into the cast and numbers yeah well i mean of course this waffle even more <laughs> I mean, this is obviously directed and written uh, by Steven Spielberg. It was produced by Julia Phillips and uh, Michael Phillips. It stars um, Richard Dreyfus, who is phenomenal in this. I think he's absolutely yes. superb. You get, of course, you get the legendary uh, Francois Truffaut. Um, yeah. okay, you know, a, you know, a an incredible um, filmmaker and film critic, which in which he started of, uh, started as um, a real, you know part of that new that, that French new wave cinema um, mm-hmm. you know sort of you know part of the auteur movement um, and, he, and he's really good in this and the fact he speaks hardly any English in this film is, is, yeah. is phenomenal um, yeah, you get yeah. uh, Terry Garr uh, you get Melinda Dillon who is brilliant in this I think Melinda Dillon is so good in this film she is mm-hmm. so good Bob Balaban Pops up yeah. in this, uh, who and I, I people, I think Bob Balaban is one of these really underrated character actors. He's just superb. Are you aware that Bob Balaban kept a diary during making this film that was actually published as a book? No, I did not and, know that. Yeah, and for the longest time, it went out of print. It was re-released um, some years later. And it just sort of shows that it, it's just him talking about what goes, what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And apparently, I've actually, I've actually tried to track it down, and I've never been able to. But there's been a further book released since then. Um, with a, with an, it's, it's, I think it's an extension of the book itself. That's got like a massive foreword from Spielberg, mm. and um, and apparently it's fascinating because he works so closely with Truffaut. Yeah. And um. You know, Balaban had to learn French for the role. Yeah. <laughs> it's just showing this sort of dynamic. And being an actor and being told, right, this is what we are aiming for. And, you know, see, seeing the, the mechanics of the make into the final result. Yeah. And, yeah, um, it, I, I've, 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 I've tried to track the book down, but I haven't been able to uh, to get a copy, unfortunately. Um, I mean, then you get uh, Carrie Guffrey, um yeah. as the young lad in this. Uh, one Barry. take Gary, um, yeah. as uh, one take Barry. Sorry, as um, as Spielberg named him. Even Spielberg even had a T-shirt printed that he wore on set with one take uh, one take Carrie on it because he every single scene he did, he did it either in one or he did it in two takes. Yeah, which is it's it's, it's, remar- it's remarkable, and that feeds into the how Spielberg gets kids to react absolutely in his films you know there's numerous examples of it isn't it lance um, henriksen pops up in this yeah 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 now i I think he's i think he has two lines yes uh, now did you know who else which other famous action star pops up in a tiny 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 role in this film no, I I probably have previously, but for this for this for this moment of time, I can't say that I. Carl motherfucking Weathers. Really? Yeah, he pops up. He's got a tiny, 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 tiny role. He's one of the extras in it. He plays like an um, he plays like one of the army, uh, one of the soldiers in the background. 
Carl oh, Weathers. No. Yeah, Carl Weathers. Wow. So, uh, you know, Apollo Creed was there. So, you know, I mean... Dylan! Yeah. Perhaps, he, perhaps that was one of his first assignments before he went into uh, exactly. the jungle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, the other <laughs> thing, this film is two hours and 17 minutes long. Um, and it flies. It yes. absolutely flies. I think the theatrical cut is 135. The special edition is 132. And Spielberg's director's cut is 137 minutes. Um, so wait, wait, which, which, which version is two hours and 17? Um, it is the... The super-duper mega cut? The super-duper mega cut is on... Um, it's on Sky actually. It's on Sky. If you look on the on uh, Sky TV on there on the thing is two hours and seventeen. So give or take. Now, but so there's for... four different versions. Yeah, so. there's four different versions of this film. Now, <laughs> here's the best thing, right? I love and this this blows my mind, right? When we look at this film, and you look how visually stunning this film is. Its budget mm-hmm. was nineteen point four million. Yes. It grossed three hundred and six million. Adjusted for inflation, <laughs> yeah, two billion dollars. Now that's not a bad bit of coin, is it? And also, when you factor in that the same year Star Wars came out, and I, if if I'm right off the top of my head, the budget for Star Wars was twenty one, twenty two million. Yeah. Yeah, because that 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 was it went over budget, so it it is. I think its budget was something like eighteen, nineteen million. Yeah, but it went over, and then it did. Well, it was the number one film of all time yeah. until ET came out, doesn't it? Anyway, yeah, it was Jaws, Star Wars, ET, wasn't it? Yeah, and um, do you think Spielberg has like a Scrooge McDuck moment in his house where he just like swims through his money? <laughs> it's got all like one of those um, little like Victorian bathing suits and just sort of like dives in. No, I, I think I think he's a he's a much more modest man than that, isn't he? So uh, I don't think he would be that. Uh, what's the word? Hubris. They would, yeah, they wouldn't be that level yeah. of hubris. I'd be yeah. I'd be angel, in, you know, money angel. <laughs> <laughs> or like but, in uh, um, the Simpsons with Mr. Burns, money fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um no it, it's it's staggering really and i know i know you've got your your major blockbusters now that that do they've got to break they've got to make a billion just to break even a lot of the yeah. time now haven't they? which and, is just in, which is insane but, yeah which and, is insane and yes they have better special effects nobody disputes that the costumes are better. This is better. The catering is better, right? But when you look at something like Close Encounters for when it's, it was made and how it still still looks, it's quite remarkable. It's quite, quite remarkable. Oh, you know, that, that mothership landing, the clouds forming and the mothership, you know, when it comes and then it, t- it spins... Mm. That 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 shot is just phenomenal. It is phenomenal, and it is totally, I... totally seamless. There's not a clunk in no, it. it no, is, there is not it's... a clunk in it. 
it's it's the um there's loads and what I love about that sequence it particularly is but when you when you go back to the start of the film and they're in the desert and the sandstorm is hitting yeah not really you're not really sure what's happening there's there's three different languages being spoken in the first scene as well yeah right and then you see the guy with the half sunburned face and he's you know they point into the sky you know those 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 airplanes there the uh, World War Two ones. Yeah, yeah, they're War, yeah. Oh, basically, yeah. Oh, what they are is what, what Spielberg has done, which is really, really clever. And this is where the the mixing in of truth and myth and ufology and all those kind of things is. It is that basically they've discovered what was called Flight Nineteen, um, and Flight Nineteen was a squadron of World War Two planes um, mm. that disappeared over the Bermuda Triangle. Just yeah, just disappeared. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's been lots of other things. Um, there's been studies and those kind of things about the play, about what happened. Yeah. But the the, you know, the idea, you know, the, the Spielberg has sort of um, built in that they were taken, obviously, by by some unidentified flying object. So their flight mm. is Flight Thirty One, which is amazing. And I think that scene is so is quintessential Spielberg. It wouldn't look out of place in Raiders. No, and. Uh... This is that, that again leads into what I was saying about you know those 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 interactions, different films, but you can tell yeah clearly clearly that that is a Steven Spielberg thing. It's like with the, the propellers being started up and yeah you know shot a uh, uh, shot to the cockpit to show everything still immaculate, those pictures still perfect, yeah. albeit worn, and everything you know. The mileage, full tanks, you know, we as we know from Battlefield Earth, who yes. you know, fuel weighs away after a certain amount of time. <laughs> so obviously it's been suspended in in time when it's been taken by the aliens. So that's why it's still there. But um, I can't believe you managed to get like, close encounters and Battlefield Earth in the same fucking yeah, no, sentence. What, what a total juxtaposition, isn't it? I mean, the total. Oh. Polar opposites. Absolutely, I mean, and we all know which is the better film. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, you're talking a film, eighty million dollars, with the the, the the improvement of CGI. Then, if you want to call yeah. it, yeah, against a film that cost a quarter of its budget thirty years earlier. And I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just no comparison, is it? I mean, no, there's not. And then when you look at like, you look at the skill of Spielberg in this, and his ability to to create this in this, this world that is totally, mm. totally believable. The fact that yeah. you know, the fact that we just accept they're there. Because it is yeah. set up and is grounded in such and it and it's introduced in such a believable way, you know. And you you throw in John Williams's score, which mm. is just wow, just wonderful all the way through. I know I, I know some people will will throw a little bit of mud at John Williams because they'll say, well, if you listen to. Superman, and you listen to Star Wars, and you listen to Raiders, and you listen to well, the thing is, yeah, they are going to sound the same because every composer has got his own little niche or his his own little the stamp, 
stamped is the correct word I'm looking for. I mean, you could lay the same at Alan Silvestri. You could do the same Hans Zimmer. at uh, Hans Zimmer. Right? <laughs> you could do the same as um, James Newton Howard. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. There's, 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 uh, there's any number of composers you could throw that. Any old Monaco, you know, bloody Maricone, yeah. right? Yeah, oh, God, yeah. We, Absolutely. Uh, we could, uh, but the thing is, if you were to say that about a band, you'd go, well, yes, the Beatles. Well, yes, the Stones. That's what they sound like. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what composers do exactly the same thing about them. But there is something about, and I'm a, I'm a massive fan of John Williams, and I've never understood the stick that he does get sometimes, that you, when you hear a John Williams, you just listen to a John Williams' score in JFK. It's outstanding. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible. I watched incredible. Funny enough, that's, that's another film I've watched during lockdown that I hadn't seen for ages and ages. I've got um, Oliver Stone's um, biography waiting for me. Oh um, man! So he's fast. He's a fascinating man. He's fascinating. Slightly crazy, but he's a, <laughs> he is a genuinely fascinating man, and he has made some bona fide masterpieces. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But like you, I mean the. Go on, I was going to say the the doors is right up there. Oh, <laughs> hey, hey, I've, I've, hey, I've, I've just written this little ditty. Come back. Yeah, of course. Uh, that's how re- that's how light my fire was written, wasn't it? You know. <laughs> However, Val Kilmer is amazing in it. He's absolutely brilliant in it. He is absolutely he is brilliant. He's superb. He's a dick. And he looks so. He looks yeah, and he looks so much like him. It's. It's startling, and it's not like he's wearing prosthetics or makeup or anything. He just no. looks like Jim Morrison. Yeah. Well, do you know what? One point, you know who nearly played Jim Morrison? I know we're going off on one year, but do you know who nearly played Jim Morrison? No. Go on. I'm a, the most unlikely candidate, apart from Tom Cruise. You're not far. That's not a bad guess. I I mentioned an actor earlier who has a link to this actor as well. Yo, Adrian. I was going to say Stallone. Stallone. God, Stallone God, was... was given the book, um, <laughs> by one of the biographies of Jim Morrison, um, and he was asked, would he be interested in uh, playing Jim Morrison? And he said, no, the book's shit. <laughs> it was when he, you know, so yeah, you know, Stallone could have been, uh, could have been well, Jim Morrison at one point. Not to go off on another cha- tangent here, I watch Cobra as well. Oh! And you, you and I will have a discussion about that <laughs> off this podcast. It is a wonderful steaming pile of shit that is just magic from beginning to end. I would take out the magic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, each to each to the each to yeah. Back to John. Back to you know, John Williams is scoring this is just is 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 magic. And yeah. the other thing as well, people don't f- tend to forget about moments in closing counters. There are moments of genuine terror in this. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And it's the um, I think the scariest scene of the lot is the first. It's not the first time um, the aliens go to um, Barry's house. Yeah. It's it's the second time. Yes. With with the the 
the harsh orange light, the front door being open, the classic. It turns into a haunted house, doesn't it? Oh, God, yeah. You know, I with, mean, with the blinds going and the, 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 the cooker switching on and the furniture shaking and the floorboards rattling. And, Absolutely. You know, the, 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 um, the grates becoming undone. The, you know, the mother and... trying to close the, you know, the uh, the, the chimney. chimney. Yeah. That, yeah. You think about that moment, you know, you, 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 that idea that you, something is that desperate to get in the house to yeah. take yeah. your child. Well, well, let's, let's, let's flip it on its head then. If this was if this was being made now, you'd see all of that now. But what you'd also see is however many spaceships there would be outside the house, right? Yeah. What you'd see is a swarm of creatures going onto the roof, through a window, yeah, into the cellar, wrapping around almost like a bubble almost, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, 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 that would totally detract from what is actually going on within the house because ultimately, a mother is trying to protect her three-year-old son, yeah. right? And... If that was made now in a modern context, you wouldn't have that subtlety, that that nuance to sort of step. Well, just keep it into the house. Never mind what's going on outside. This we're not. We, it's too scary. We're yeah. not going to show you what's going on outside. Yeah, we're going to concentrate entirely on this haunted house. And ultimately, the kid is it's a wheel of a time for the kid, isn't it? Oh, he's, 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 you know when he crawls he through goes, the dog yeah. through, the, through the cat flap, it's like oh yeah. Little shit, yeah. get in here! No, I know, and uh, it's, 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 it's just, magic. It is magic. It's, it's yeah, and it's it's terrifying, and it is terrifying. Yeah, and the shot of her running into the field after after a cloud. Yeah, you know, and she's she's in a blind panic, and all you can see is the is the clouds retracting in the classic. Um, Painting water special effect, yeah. isn't it? You yeah, know? it's the matte painting, isn't of... it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, but it just looks in- incredible. And just talking about a shot in the sky, I don't know if you've noticed, but every time a shot, the camera is pointed at the sky, there's always something moving in the sky. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, you know. There's the odd, you think it might be like a flying star. or this, this, it, it, You've got to keep an eye out. It's, yeah. not, it's not there front and centre, but just off to the side of it happens just before when um, Roy Neary is sat at the crossroads yeah. and the car goes behind and everything. But there's a shot just before that car overtakes of him sat and this, you know, this black, black night. And something just moves just slightly yeah. off li- on the left-hand side yeah. of the screen. Just ever so slightly. And then you've got that amazing shot then of the, the second car pull it up behind him and he yeah. flags it you know go round and the lights just go up and ah oh, man genius it's genius you're loving your new genius. tv you know <laughs> it's about I, I can actually watch lawrence of arabia now on a tiny you screen, need to so. i put my I, whenever i watch lawrence of arabia i put it on a projector right well i have a screen big enough now to accommodate it so, and you need to. You need to sit down and you need to watch Lawrence of Arabia. I did. I did watch Singing in the Rain. Oh, it's just I bad. did watch. I, I did, and I was floored by it. Didn't you? Didn't you? Absolute. Didn't you have a big smile the entire way through? Ah, uh, I tell you, 
I will say though, it must be exhausting to be. It must have been exhausting to be in an extra in one of those films. Not so much of the physicality, of it, but everybody smiles all the way through. Yeah, yeah, everybody. Every, everybody's constantly happy, and I'm just that would weigh me out more than anything. You know, <laughs> Never mind the physicality. But do you just know which one? That. Everybody talks about the classic. You know, Gene Kelly in the you know in 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 the rain. You know, swinging on the lamp post. The one moment in that, the one sequence I just I can watch over and over and over again is make him laugh. Ah, uh, with oh. um, what's his name? Oh. And he does the but he backflip yeah. and everything. He runs yeah. up the wall. Oh yeah. my god! Oh, it's just, it's just brilliant, and the timing on it is exquisite. It's just yeah. absolutely exquisite. It's just, it's just yeah. a phenomenal, phenomenal film. Uh, anyway, yeah. so we, we 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 we're hanging on there in this in this one, and we try to. We are. We, we are. Uh, now, one of the things that I one of the most heartbreaking scenes for me in this, is, actually, there's a few scenes in this, is Roy's family and Roy's wife. Is yeah. Is she's almost like the anti-villain in this, from the point of view of she's just trying to keep. Keep keep her family, you know, do the best for her family because, yeah, from her point of view, her husband has lost his job, yeah, and he's gone mental, and he's and, suddenly fill, throwing mud through their kitchen window. Yeah, and it's what I've always what I've always thought, or what I've more recently thought. I haven't seen it the, the couple of times that I've seen it recently. Is that. Roy is almost permanently detached from his family, despite yeah. being sat next to his children. Yeah. Despite, um, you know, having bringing up conversations that happened last week about going doing goofy golf on a Saturday. Yeah. You know, um, the phone is ringing. He just he just doesn't hear it. And Spielberg, I think he does that quite a lot within his films. And it's I, I suppose it's like a natural family dynamic. If you sat around the table with more than four people, there are going to be more than two, three conversations on yeah, going yeah. at the same time. And what I, what I find especially is with, with Ron Neary, he's, he's so almost detached from his family that perhaps this was always going to be the outcome that would come regardless of an alien visitation. Well, this, and is it the case, you know, and, and I mean, one way you could really look at this film, if you want to be really, really cynical, is this is a man's reaction to PTSD or is this a reaction to the fact that actually Roy has had some kind of total breakdown? Well, yeah. And this and... is some kind of psychotic fantasy that is going on in his head. But... Potentially, but then what I've what I've taken from it is is that the man, and I, I I sort of said about it earlier is is that when he gets to that point where, you know, this vision, this thing, he can't get it out of his head. You yeah. know, that this he's, he's seen this thing, and he knows other people have seen this thing, but it yeah. just, it's just not it's not leaving him. Yeah, and like you say, he's he's. He's doing the potato. He's done the potato mountain. Yeah. Um, he's having he's having the breakdown. Which he then finds decides, him in the shower. Yeah, yeah. Because he's like, I I don't know what to do. Yeah. I, he's he's in that delirium, isn't it? I don't know what to do. The most common sense thing for me to do is get in a boiling hot shower, fully clothed, and 
you know, he's in that delirium and he says, he actually does ask for help. Yeah, he? yeah. You know, I need, I need help. And then something triggers him again, isn't it? Um, I forget. When what he, he rips the top off, because he, I mean, he's, he's like, you sort of, he's almost like a man child, isn't he? Because when you see him at the beginning and like the house is chaos, which is interesting because you've got the family there and there's this chaos going on around them. But then when you look at Barry's house and it's a single mother, and it's very calm, mm. and they're very, very happy. But they're in yeah. you know, that house, and there's this sort of like, you know, he's playing with his train set. Yeah. He yeah. wants to take and, the kids then, to go see Pinocchio. Yeah, but then, having said that, that again is a common theme of um, Spielberg's Absolutely. Nuclear, nuclear families, because you think, like you say, poltergeist, the kids' bedrooms, this this thing's everywhere, isn't it, yeah. right? The kids' bedrooms in this. The kids' bedrooms are upside down, isn't it? But it sort of ramshackles into the rest of the house. Et Elliot's bedroom. There's 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 bits and bobs everywhere, isn't yeah. it? You know. Yeah. Is that a lean into something that Spielberg didn't necessarily have as a child? It could be, you know, because yeah. if everybody wanted your, your friends' toys in their bedroom, didn't they? Yeah, as a kid. yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, that's just human nature. But I wouldn't disagree with what you say about it being like the man child because. It's it's almost overbearing because she she actually says to um, um Ronnie actually says to him you know well that's your table you can't have this table as well yeah you know I I, I need that table and it's like well we need to eat off that table you've yeah. got your train set already you can't have this now for your conspiracy theories and all yeah. the rest yeah but um what I was coming to in a roundabout way is. Is that moment when they when after he's he's, em, he's emptied the bloody garden into the kitchen yeah. and he's making this monument that he doesn't know what it is. Yeah. And she just goes and taking the kids and he jumps on the car. Yeah. She drives off and he gets thrown from the car and he writes himself and he sort of you know straightens his dress and gown. And just before that is the part with the bin and he's fighting the fight with the bin. Yeah. Right? <laughs> But that, there's loads of little things like that in, that are genuinely funny in this oh, film. Oh, God. And I mean, even the line where they, they're in the car together <laughs> and they drive, him and Gillian are driving to the, um, you know, they've, they've broken through barriers. You know, yeah. there's a, apparently this toxic gas in the air. And, yeah. she's, and they're talking about being questioned by the government. And, you know, she says, they asked me, is there I mean, any, any, anything strange in the neighbourhood? And he just chuckles. Yeah, yeah. And when he's in the shower and she pulls him out and he looks happens to look at his watch and he goes, Oh, it's waterproof, it still works. Yeah. You know, just, like, <laughs> just like a little off camera. Right. But the moment I am coming to that we have danced and danced and danced around is he's on the phone to Ronnie and he's frantic and he's pleading and he's going, I can work this out. I, you know, we can do this. And I can do this, and we we'll, we will get these things sorted. I will get help, etc., yeah. etc. Et and there's just that that one second when that moment of clarity hits when he sees the news report about yeah. Devil's Tower, and his face changes, and it's like I found it, I found it, and he just hangs up on her, yeah. and that's the last. That the family is mentioned, and he and he and he walks away. And I, that's he it. Yeah, away. that is the end of it for him. It is that moment where he knows it's finished, and he knows yeah. in the back of his head somewhere he's not coming back. No, and 
you know it and it's it's that all right you could call it that selfishness yeah. because you know ultimately it is a selfish act in what, in what he does because he's driven we know why he's driven but his family don't know why he's no driven. no well they just think he's gone mental and I mean that yeah, scene and... where the mashed potato where they sat there and his son is sat right next to him and his son is crying yeah yeah, that's it's, that. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, and to flip that around, that's not hugely dissimilar from the Jaws. Yeah, um, imitating yeah. the father. Yeah, because this the the kid recognizes the father is upset or he's got huge problems. Yeah, and so he decides to start mimicking him. Yeah, and it's it's that light moment of relief, whereas in this, it's the polar opposite. Yeah. It closes it's in. The, it's yeah. It's it's whereas that is a, a moment of relief. Take some pressure, you know. Just remind, just a son reminding his father that he loves him. To the other one, in close encounters where the son doesn't understand what's happening with the father, much like anybody else in there. Yeah. And it's it's that 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 eight year old boy's reaction. Yeah. To what is happening in front of him, and it's it's. It's tremendously moving. It really, really is. Yeah. It really is. Absolutely. And the other thing that's always a co- in that house, the one thing that is constantly on is the television. Yeah. And, like, yeah. I love the fact that Duck Dodgers is on. <laughs> I train this planet in the name of Mars. <laughs> I, Marvin the Martian. Love it's Marvin. Just, I, 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 it's one of my, it's, it's one of my, he's one of my favourite characters. One of my favourite. Did, did, did you as a kid or did we have, as kids have, I think my sister might have had it. We had a, we had a, a Warner Brothers video with just Looney Tunes of her and I were on it, right? And Duck Dodgers is one of the ones on it. And one of the other ones that was on it is the singing frog. Oh. Hello, my baby. Hello, yeah. my baby. <laughs> right? Yeah. But it's burnt. The other one later, is um, Bugs Bunny where they do Wagner. The bunny, yes. of, the bunny of Seville. And when they and just... The grand opera of it all, isn't it's it? It's just amazing. It's genius. It's genius. In fact, I'm going to dig some of them out after. The Bunny of Seville. And he's rubbing his head. And you can see the fingers. And he... Yeah. I'm definitely watching that after. See, you can take all your fucking Paw Patrol and all that nonsense and... Paw Patrol, you know, go fuck yourself Boss. with Paw Patrol. It's, you know, it's, it's that, you know, we grew up watching, you know, listening to, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the Barbara Seville. Yes, there was a cartoon rabbit on there, and Wagner, and Marvin the Martian, and Duck Dodgers, and there's fuck all wrong with us. We are actually articulate human beings who are able to sit in a room. Now kids are just there with some CGI bullshit. Some, you know. Have you seen what they've done to Fireman Sam? Sam uh, fucking tan. You know, I'm not being funny. Fireman Sam in Ponty Pandy does not need a fucking speedboat and a helicopter. There's like five people living in that fucking village. Uh, One of them is an arsonist. Yeah. Uh, uh, (laughs) No I will say, if we are talking about some modern cartoons... My kid, will, there's a few they watched, and every now and again, I'd catch and i go, what are you watching? And they'd be like, oh, um, regular show and Adventure Time. 
Oh. And there's a couple of others that escape me at this moment in time. Um, oh, Adventure Time. Adventure Time. What? Oh, Rick and Morty as well. Don't oh, really no. forget. Not yeah, really right, for right. kids, that one, though, is it? <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, yeah, there is some trash, but those Warner Brothers, those Looney Tunes ones. Oh, will... It's just, it, it, but it all fits into the, that, that, that period time, that sort of almost like classic Americana that is, that is there. Yeah, but, but having said that, how old was that cartoon when that film was made? It I mean, must have was, been 30, 40 years yeah, old. Yeah, absolutely. Easily. Absolutely. And to this day, it stands up. Of to this it day, it stands up. Of course it does. Genius. You know. Anyway, so... Anyway! <laughs> what I love about that entire... Th- you know, when you look at those two households, though, and you see all that chaos on, and like you said, even the, there is something always going on in the background there. Mm. That moment mm. where he he realises that he's not going back. Richard Dreyfuss' performance in that is just, is is phenomenal. It is phenomenal. Mm. And he's acting throughout, because actually, Roy could be a very unlikable character. Absolutely. And harking back to when you said about a possible PTSD or previous OCD, there's a scene where his wife, Ronnie, is actually cutting a newspaper article out yeah. and binning it before he can actually see it. Yeah. Because she knows it's going to fuel his fire that little bit further. Yeah. yeah. You know, and again, when the train set, the yes. train set, how many times have we seen a, tra- a, a on TV, on film, tra- people who make train sets? It's an obsession. And it's, it's, it's because, yeah, you can make a train set the size of a normal coffee table, you can make one the size of a dining table. But if you want a proper train set, it's yep. got to be Do- 12 wallpaper tables. Dude, <laughs> this- I have spent my entire adult working life working with children and teenagers on the ASD spectrum. And mm-hmm. over the years, I don't think I have... I, I've learned more about model trains train making what types of train it, it is you know it is an, it, it is something that really appeals to um, to people to, to people on the spectrum and it's about the precision it's about the control it is yeah. about that amazing amazing attention to detail and yeah. you know it, that it, it, it is obsessive it's an obsession you know well it, it it's not only a, a train set. It's it's model building, isn't it? It's like world say, building. World building. It's yeah. control. Yeah. You get yeah. you, you know, get you get to decide when the nine fifteen from Paddington leaves. You get yeah, to decide absolutely. which you're going to push this button and you're going to move that and you know and you build it. Mm, you build absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. It's it's it. And I think you you're absolutely spot on about potential PTSD or perhaps. Oh, what did I suggested OCD? And perhaps there is that that previous something that we'll never know about. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. Just, just and you know, for for right, rightly or wrongly, Roy nearly didn't go looking for the aliens. Aliens came looking for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, he, he, that's that's why. And, and you know, you say he could be unlikable. 
there's going to be people out there will go, well, he totally abandons his family. He's that selfish that he, he basically goes his own path and he totally disregards his family. But then he's been touched in a way. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know something, something is profoundly connected with him that is not going to be satisfied until he gets to that, that, place that that nirvana that 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 thing until yeah. he gets there and to an extent even when they get the devil's mountain yeah it's like we're almost there and you can almost see that the, the tension starting to ease slightly yeah they're still they've still got that hurdle and what i you know the other what's interesting spielberg sort of talked to talks about he made this when he when he didn't have children mm. and he somebody asked him would he keep the end in the same and he said he wasn't sure he wasn't sure if he would have roy leave at yeah. the end if he had to make it again which is a really really interesting which is a but really yeah. interesting take yeah and i can i can see exactly what he means as a father because you know it's a case of do you sort of walk away or step away from the thing that should be your priority constantly? Yeah. Regardless of what you want, what you like, etc. You know, they, them, they are the priority. And I can totally understand that. I can't totally understand it because it, 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 your attitudes and your reflections do change. You know, ultimately, you want the best for children. As a, as a as a as a parent, as an aunt, an uncle, a teacher, uh, you know, and you just want to make sure the children are okay. Yeah, I think that's just human nature. As much as you probably don't like them, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there, there is that sort of instinct to make sure they are okay. Which harks back to when one scene in the film, right? That always always amazes me is. When Barry runs for the first time from the house and he ends up in the middle of the road. Yeah. You've got all those people on that bank and yeah. on just... that on that blind bend, right? And they're just smiling at the little boy stood in the middle of the road. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes Roy Neary almost knocking him over and just happens to be that that um Gillian yeah. gets to her son in time to save his life. But you've got you've got the the train spotters just sat on the side of the mountain. Yeah, just like just just like you know, we're waiting. We're gonna see our friends, and that sort of you know that danger. And at least we forget that there's an, there's at least two entire families there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. And ne- never mind the, the three year old walking in front of you know on a blind pen. Do you know what you know? I, however, the one thing with him running off. If it had been a Welsh man, that flip flop would have been off, and it would have been taking him down like like T.J. Hooker with a plastic flip flop to the back of the legs, down, I always, down and incapacitated. I always and I, I always say this story. My, one of my oldest friends, his mother, fearsome lady, yeah. had, and it was used a carpet beater on the living room wall. Right? Like a decorative, like, bamboo type uh, yeah. thing, right? Yeah. 
I saw that fucking thing come off the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we're in, you know, you know, in, in sort of endorsing that kind of uh, physical chastisement, but nothing quite like a flip flop <laughs> in the back of the leg or right in the calf uh, as you're going up the stairs to keep you in line. <laughs> fucking uh, fit through the cat flap now. Go yeah. on, try and do it. Break your legs yeah. from your neck down. <laughs> yeah. Have a look to see how many batteries are in your toys now. <laughs> Telling you what, if this shit isn't picked up, it's going in the bin. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> see, now, mind. Gillian falls asleep with the TV on as well. Yeah, she TV's does. TV's constantly on. Yeah. Just thought about that, I know. Do you know what we haven't mentioned? Five tones. The famous Rainy five. Do, do, so. Yes. Yeah. It's it's so simple, isn't it? It is so simple. You know. Just that. Yeah. Just so simple, and even the the sign language thing. Yeah. yeah Although you could see this and look like yeah. I'm doing like walk like an Egyptian by the Bangles beer, but. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's just such. A yeah. wonderful, and wonderful, wonderful thing. I, I don't know if you know, there's a bit of a backstory that they struggled for ages to get that sequence because John Williams' score, was the score was there. And, of course, music plays such a large part into the film. Yeah. As we said, as we said. But that sequence was proving extremely difficult because... They couldn't get what might be perceived as a connection, and it, it. And the thing is, the music is only all those tones are introduced initially, or in the Delhi sequence, yeah, isn't it? You yeah, know, yeah. Those hundreds of people singing the same thing, and it, sort of lay that as your foundation of making first contact. Yeah, yeah, and. It's it's just genius. It's really genius. But the thing is, that that hook is so synonymous. It's it's like um, well, it almost be, it, it it it's sort of whenever anybody parodies this, then the first thing they do is nah, 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 you know, yeah. it's always done, isn't it? It's it's it, you know, it's appeared in everything, but yeah, it's well, so simple, so simple. Is, it's, it's not. It's not the first time that something has been. What I'm trying to say. Think about when you start up a computer. Oh got, yeah. Right. You've got four or five notes. When you when you Skype somebody, when you FaceTime somebody, boom, you've got boom, those. Boom. Yeah. You've yeah. got those little little things, and instantly, know what it is, isn't it? Yeah. But then John Williams has done this before, in Jaws. Yeah. Yeah, those those four five opening chords. Well, you before think before the rest kicks in. Jaws is a cello. This is yeah. a tuba. Yeah, no, it's an oboe. Is it an oboe or is it a tuba? It's an oboe. I thought. I thought it was a tuba. Ah, oh, when, when it's on the mothership. Is it yeah, tuba? when it's tuba. Yeah, that's right. When it's on the mothership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's an oboe. Um, yeah. When initially a, a, a keyboard did he uh, yeah. oboe probably isn't it? What I yeah but, um, yeah yeah. There's another this. Do you know what's interesting about this? Don people don't quote this film. You know they obviously sort of you know Spielberg. You're going to need a bigger boat. Um, you you know uh, 
poltergeist here, here. And I know t- people are going to say, that's Toby Hooper's film. Uh, uh, um, but... About, about 40% of it, perhaps. Yeah. You know, but there's a brilliant line in this when he says about um, Albert Einstein and the bloke turns around and he goes, yeah, <laughs> you know, he was probably one of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually nodded to again in Men in Black. Yes. When Will Smith sees the big screen yeah. for the aliens. Yeah. yeah. And Spielberg is shown as one of the aliens. As, yeah. as an alien on on Earth, isn't it? Along with other people and whatnot. Yeah. No. And, and I'm sure Einstein pops up in Men in Black in as well somewhere. What haven't we talked about so far? Um, well, we could talk about because the cinematography. Oh, yes, by Vilmos. Is, I'm going to try and say his, his surname, Vilmos Zygmunt. Yeah. Um, it's it's staggering. Oh, yeah. it's staggering. It, it's this this film, and don't get me wrong. Spielberg for the for the for the longest time now has used um, Janusz Kaminski. Yeah, and he, he's brilliant. And but Vilmos, he worked exclusively with a a a, a, a real cachet of the top directors. Oh God, yeah. He, um, and did the, he work with Camino? Yeah, he did the yeah, Deer Hunter. He did the Deer Hunter. Um, Robert Altman. Sp- yeah. Spielberg. Um, um, oh, De Palma. Well, um, um, he did. Um, he also worked on McCabe and uh, Mrs. Miller, which is, I think, is one of the best westerns. I think it's an amazing western with Warren Beatty. Yeah, yeah. Great, great, but, um, great film. Right. He, the, the, the actual, the look and the concept of the film. The film was always going to be open. It had, it had to be an open. I think that's why shooting in um, Wyoming, Wyoming had to be. Well, how can I explain something? America is a huge place, as we all know. Anyway, yes. so. You know, I don't think so. I, a lot of films incorporated, but sometimes films forget where they are. But I think Spielberg had to show the the, the wide open spaces. Then, yeah, and I think it's sort of because this film is sort of that the idea it is the Brit, you know, it's that that, that slice of Americana, that sort of Midwest, it, yeah, it, and and set in the extraordinary in the midst of the incredibly ordinary yeah yeah and hence that for example when when the when the um, evacuation is happening around yeah. devil's tower and everything right it's so chaotic because it is a chaotic situation and everything. Yeah. Yeah. but the thing is it's 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 almost set up like um I don't want to be. It's almost like an, an Indian train station, isn't it? 
where you've got all the people trying to pile on one train. Yeah, oh, yeah. Chaos. Yeah. yeah. Right? And I mean, that's... But you, but you know, it, it's in the middle of America, isn't it, right? Yeah. And it's and it's the, the running through the crowd. And, you know, I will say rather ironically, happening to find Gillian in the middle of all well, these... Well, you can... She spots him. <laughs> Before he even realises, you can hear a voice calling Roy, Roy yeah. well before yeah. that. I mean, one yeah. thing what is quite interesting about this, um, and I was reading, sort of reading around, um, reading around, sort of, you know, reading some of the stuff for it, and, and actually, the, so one particular reason of this film is that actually the government are sort of, are sort of behaving particularly, you know, rather like fascists in this, in the fact that they are lying to people. To, mm. They're faking the whole, um, the, the what they call it, the, the toxic gas. Yeah, yeah. Um, they are then herding mass masses of people onto trains and shipping them out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which again, Spielberg would come back to yeah. um, in Schindler's yeah. List. Um, yeah. The fact yeah. that the government murder people's livestock and leave them on the road. They're not. They're not murdered. They're. Um, it's a nerve agent. Yeah. Well, well that general makes mention of it, it's a nerve agent. Yeah. Or so the when fact the, that when the when the cows wake up, everybody be gone. Like you know. So. Yeah. It's that like, idea though that the government are happy to use chemical weapons on their own people. Well, yeah. You know, yeah, it's like ah, it oh, they'll be fine it. because obviously you know it always goes well whenever the government uses chemical weapons on people. You know, yeah. That always yeah. goes down really well, but that. Yeah. But, or they, when they call in the army. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just send them it. They'll be fine. The army are known for their tact. And <laughs> tact and subtlety. But yes, that's right. Yes. You know, and it's like, but again, it's that sort of idea, you know, this, this idea that the, the government are sort of almost like, oh, look, even though we're doing this for the right reasons, the way we're doing it is probably not the best way of doing it. You know, and it's yeah. like, you know, that that there's that moment. And it's like even the aliens. And this is one of mm. like the big criticisms of the narrative of the film, the people that that, and I kind of buy into it. Nobody questions why the aliens have been abducting people. <laughs> Nobody just thinks, well, "Hang on, now, boys, right? You could have come down. We could have gone, you know." <laughs> I got a bit of fucking Jean Michel Jarre in the background. That would have been great, you know. What about a bit of Fleetwood Mac, bit of Albatross? Do do be great when you're all floating about. Happy days. But nobody yeah. questions that these aliens have been pinching people since the beginning of time. Yeah. Nobody and kind of sort of looks at that. Yeah, there is that part, mind, of panic when the ship arrives, isn't it? And yeah. there's people run away and whatnot. And there's quite a good bit, actually, when Roy Neary actually makes it to ground level. Yeah. And there's a couple of the workers who are sprinting past him and running up the ladder that he's just come down. What is the one guy who sprints past him and jumps straight into the porter party? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> What's that going to achieve? In a, in this <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I, I, I get what you... I do get... I, I do see that. But it, and it's... As weird as it sounds... Other than the haunting of the household, are they a threat? Are they perceived as a threat? Well, I don't know. Well, I think the idea that they possibly sort of may have, you know, just sort of zapped 30 fighter planes out of midair. 
Um, yeah, but the, the, what I mean, what I mean is, is they, they're not hostile, are they? I think I've th- got to be honest. I'd be pretty pissed off if somebody fucking. Abd- I'm just sort of trotting down the street, doop bidoo, and suddenly I'm on a ship. It's like it's a, yeah. abduction is a slightly hostile act. Yeah, but what I mean is, <laughs> what I mean is, is that we are used, or most audiences are probably used to. Um, the day the Earths are still at this point. Yeah, I you suppose, know? yeah. Yeah. Um, the only sort of friendly aliens per se you've probably had up until this point is something like um, Dark Star or... Yeah, um, E.T. No, E.T. I haven't come back. Oh, I haven't come back. I haven't come this point, yeah. Uh, um, or perhaps... Oh, well, yeah, the, the most obvious is probably Planet of the Apes because... Albeit that it's on Earth, it's science fiction, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think, you know, when we get to the, the fact that I think, you know, I'd be a little bit more cagey. I, you know, I know the army is about, but, you know, they're just, you know, they're too busy gassing people in the background. <laughs> and then this big fucking ship shows up. Yeah. You know, I kind of, you know... I, I'd, yeah. feel a bit, I'd feel a bit better if we had some kind of like I don't know maybe just some kind of tank lurking in the background because once they come out, I'm sure if you got out there and just M16 them, they'd be absolutely you know they're not gonna you know mash them to pieces. But <laughs> I know I, I know, but I there is that ex. Oh, I don't know. It's it's you. You've got me wondering, you know. I've never sort of questioned it. Perhaps it was never meant to be questioned. Well, but that's the problem. And I mean, this is the thing with Spielberg. And I think, you know, this is why it's such an incredible piece of filmmaking is that you don't question the gaping issue with the narrative of the film. Mm. You know, because... No, I, I, I never had. I've never... You, 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 but, but because you get, you get swept up in, in the adventure of it all. The wonder of it. The, the absolute magic of the fact that, you know, he's, you know, he shows up and he's got half his face burnt. That's actually yeah. radiation that you've just been burnt with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. You're not, you're, and you and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. It's all these people are just suddenly they've got radiation burns. But we're actually at a point where we where the storytelling and the sort of the power of Spielberg's imagery and mm. the actual, you know, the storytelling itself. Yeah, the narrative, you just get, yeah. You just get dragged up there, but you forget about the issue, the, the, the one big narrative plot all in there, is nobody goes around and goes, hang on a minute now, boys. What's, What's the crack? Going? What's the crack? <laughs> <laughs> no, and this is, this made me wonder about, Spielberg said that he'd never make a sequel to this. Never, yeah. never would, it, would he ever do. And quite rightly. But it got me wondering, what would happen if Roy Neary went back? Afterwards. And, you know, afterwards. And much like, say, the time period then between those fighter pilots coming back. Um, 30 years. 30 years, years later. Yeah. yeah. 30 years. You know, we're talking the best part of 40 years, 50 years. Yeah. Coming what would that look like now? Yeah, and it, it, it's it, it's it's a, it's it will it won't happen. But it's like wow, can you imagine trying to get those core members of the cast that are still with us back and try and articulate as to what has happened for the best part of forty 
three years or yeah. Yeah. whatever it is, you yeah. know, and it's, it's kind of fascinating to think about, but I'd rather not know. Yeah, and I think it would be great because how disappointed or, or how sort of, you know, how awful would it be if they realised that when Neary got onto that ship, he was violently gang-probed the second that the door was closed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it all went that... a bit fire in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> that would, you know, that that take on the film would really, fly, yeah. would, would change it completely, yeah. you know. You know, because, well, you know, those guys well, coming off that ship look all a bit dazed and confused, don't they? They're all a bit, you know. Yeah, but but then going on to a different Spielberg film, in War of the Worlds, the aliens come down and the first thing they do is just annihilate yeah. everybody. And then, and then you see they harvest them purely so they can have their blood so they can survive. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, Spielberg has got a, a, he has got a bit of nasty in him. And people, oh, God, I, yeah. I mean, people, I mean... It, it, people do sort of overstate egg is sort of saccharine sweet mm. kind of elements to it, but actually, there is a real dark element in all in in all yeah. of Spielberg's yeah. films, and that is like it's, you know somebody once described uh, Close Encounters as Disney's version of Two Thousand and One because it's that idea which I think is, is is a bit disrespectful, and there's not look and it's it's ignoring the fact that actually, you've got these scenes of family breakdown you've got the you know that the terrifying like secrets like we talked about about the child being abducted but mm. then you look at his other work you look at jaws jaws is a fucking horror film no two ways about there's no two ways about it et it has moments in it where the government are yeah. you know because let's not forget until they cg'd in the sort of um I don't know, the shovels or whatever they, they were carrying they were you know walkie talkies the walkie talkies they were carrying they machine were... guns Pump action. Yeah, you know, it's like okay, you know, yeah. That. And then you look at then, then you look at this other sci-fi minority report, <sighs> you know, which is which is bleak beyond belief. Oh God, yeah. It's 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 a fab- fabulous film, and it is truly brilliant yeah. Spielberg. But it's it's one of the most bleak films he's ever made. Oh God, yeah. You but know. then but, but then that period of Spielberg was quite bleak, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, Schindler's had... List wasn't a laugh riot, was it? Let's be fair. No, no, no. But I mean, you got Minority Report, War of the Worlds. Yeah. You know, and despite War of the Worlds, I, I, is is pretty good. The ending. Mm. But then, the, land but then I, oh, I'm going to say this now, and I'm, they'll, you know. The, People, the H.G. Wells Brigade will be outside my door with pitchforks and torches. I love War of the Worlds. It is one of my favourite books. I love the idea. But the ending for it is like they all catch a cold and they die. Mm. It's a bit like, oh. Oh, you know, it, it, I think in some ways it's the equivalent. And he woke up and it was all a dream. Yeah. yeah, and, it, it, yeah. Ah, it, I know. And, and the thing is, it, 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 especially Spielberg's War of the Worlds, because it's, it's focused purely on three people. Yeah. For the majority of the film. Absolutely. And so because you've got that small unit and, you know, it's not big, huge. Yeah, well, it is. There is big spectacle. I'm not saying. Oh, God, the thing yeah. is, For Spielberg, it's such a small film and it's, it is quite dark. And then thereafter that, he did Munich. Yeah. Munich you know, is, which, is, super, is just brilliant. It's Munich, a brilliant well, film. Exactly. But the thing is, it's not... It's not family entertainment, is no. it? Let's be honest. No, it's not. It, you know, it, it, 
you know, you look at and, like, yeah, you look at that, and it's just he Spielberg has this ability to flip it. Yeah, and f- despite everybody's, you know, criticisms of, well, you know, it's he's, he's saccharine and he, he he likes to have the happy ending, and he likes you know to have the whimsy, mm. but yeah, but the, uh, again, <coughs> excuse me, again he has those those moments of proper darkness that forever sort of. Temple of Doom. AI. AI is probably one of the (laughs) bleakest films. You know, at the end of it, essentially that that little, you know, that little computer robot boy is stuck at the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) Because all he wanted was his his, his mother to love him and actually she just realised, no, she couldn't love him because he's a robot. You're free now. (laughs) It's just like, let's bond. Ah, I've had enough now. And <laughs> I take the batteries yeah. out of him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love! I need a Phillips. No, no, that's a flathead. That's a flathead screwdriver. I need a Phillips to get the back off him. <laughs> but you know, and what do you think now? Right, you go, you go. AA Minority Report. Yeah, yeah. War of the Worlds. Yeah. And then I think there's. Oh, I've never heard this fourth one. In Indiana Jones, Crystal, Crystal Skull. That's oh, a video game, I think. That is. It must be a video it's game. It's got to be a yeah, video game. Is it like the the Atlantis one that he did with uh, with Indiana Jones for the PC? <laughs> oh, oh my God! No, there's a niche reference. <laughs> truly, truly niche. Fair play. Fair play. You know, um, Greek. Yeah. Oh, so good. Right there with Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> I got into so much shit. Do you know when we were in the... You, obviously, you went to the boys' school. And, oh, yes. You know, and obviously at... With Aberdeen Boys Comprehensive School, obviously, that's... Uh, and it, it was... R.I.P. Yeah, no, it's not there anymore. It's not there anymore. It always does... It always felt like you were on rugby tour, though, didn't it, when you went to school? It always had a fairly loose sort of um, feel to the building. Um, but I remember playing Leisure Suit Larry in the computer, in the computer rooms. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. Yeah. See, this is why I'm a teacher now. Is 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 ven is vengeance, you know? Just quickly, who? Yeah, I'm just looking at his um his filmography, right? Yeah, They're talking about the dark, the dark ones, right? Yeah. As we said, Temple of Doom is quite dark. Yeah. Um, Color Purple isn't. Yeah. Isn't without its moments. <laughs> Um, Empire of the Sun Empire of the Sun, yeah yeah. Always is just Horrible (laughs) Um, And you go You know, Hook Yeah I've never got Hook, to be honest My brother was obsessed Uh, with Hook I never got it I I never never got it No, never, no Jurassic Park, Schindler's List Which, Schindler's List Yeah But then Amistad is is not an easy. The opening th- that scene on the boat where they take yeah. over the boat is brutal. It is magnificently shot. It is magnificent, yeah. but it's brutal at the same time. It's brilliant scene, brilliant scene. Private Ryan, we all know about Private Ryan. Yeah, um, AI Minority Report. Yeah, and then Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, 
which is which is bubblegum, which is a bubblegum film, yeah. right? Brilliant though. Again, again, a film with with daddy issues though. Yeah. Um, the terminal. I can genuinely say I've never seen the terminal. Do you know what? I'd like to be able to say that I've not seen the terminal. Um, and they'll, you know, I gotta be honest. I would probably nail my testicles to the desk before I go back and watch the terminal. Not yeah. great. Not great. No. Um, War of the Worlds, Munich, some video game. Tintin. Tintin's good. In fairness, Tintin is good. Warhorse. Warhorse refused to watch Warhorse. I just can't take him seriously. Um, <laughs> it's the poster. Or the trailer. I've said this before. The trailer <laughs> where the horse looks looks back towards the camera. <laughs> no, not happening. However, <laughs> do you know what? You know, tell you what is going to be Bridge of Spies. Bridge of Spies. Bridge of Spies. Yeah, is Lincoln, great. Yeah, great. Great. Yeah. You know, so Spielberg has got some chops when it comes to sort of, you know. Yeah, it's not. It's not all airy fairy. No. I do well. Do well. Do well. fucking brilliant. Brilliant you mentioned film. do well, but this, this 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 comes back back round nicely right to that run that Spielberg had from seventy one to eighty five right, and I haven't seen all of these films. Do well, which was a TV movie, which they realised it's got to go in the cinema because yeah. it's that good. Yeah, Sugarland Sugarland Express I haven't seen. Do you know what Sugarland Express is a brilliant film, and I I watched it when I was a kid, and I didn't appreciate it. I need to go back and watch it again. Jaws. Everybody knows about Jaws. Which one's Everybody that? Everybody knows about Close Encounters in 77. 1941, which is I, people see as the blemish, don't they? Do you know it's a great film? It's a great I, I film. Be, I, I, have, I haven't seen it in a number of years, but when I did see it, I really enjoyed it. I liked the absurdity of it all. I, I liked it. And I, I wouldn't mind betting if I watch it now, I'd still find it humorous. Oh, it, it, it's, you know, don't get me wrong. It is, it's silly to the extreme. It is silly mm. to the extreme. But, you know, you don't make a film with a cast of that quality where you've got Dan Aykroyd, Ned Betty, John Belushi, um, you know, Christopher Lee pops up in it. Warren Oates, Warren Oates is fucking brilliant in it. You know, uh, Robert Stack, uh, Nancy Allen. It's a brilliant, brilliant cast brilliant cast and it's just silly and it's just completely over the top yeah. i don't think people wanted that no and if you look then after that he's got raiders and quick and questionably one of the greatest films ever ever made et comes out the year after raiders <laughs> and I gotta be honest. As an adult, I find ET extremely difficult to watch because, as a kid, just washed over me. Oh, it's it's, it's like, oh, just. <laughs> but to watch it now and talking about John Williams's music, right? That was fine. That final, the final scenes of ET, and then the ship takes off and there's last shot and it's like it focuses on the family, and the last shot in Elliot, and then it cuts into the piano music. Oh, all right, confession time. One of my favourite rides, um, I think it's a unit. Is the ET ride? I think it's at Universal. 
It's not. I don't know if Dove is still there. Do you know what? I love that, right? It's cheesy. <laughs> it's, you know, however, you get the John Williams scene. You get E.T. popping yeah. up in a basket. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. You, can, you can shove the Hulk right up your ass and the rest of it. You know, I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> Fucking Aerosmith rock and roll roller coaster bollocks. Queuing up for five Not hours it. for Not a bit of E.T. Um, the same year as E.T., Poltergeist comes out, which is a massive hit. You know, and I, we, we saw that as a kid and probably we were both deeply troubled <laughs> by it. Yeah, but yeah, because it, it's a terrifying film. But oh my again, god, that, that scene that Ameri- where the guy pulls his face off. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. I, I when the house sinks and all the all the all the oh. skeletons come up. Um, following you then was a real sticky wicket for everybody involved. The Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah, and moving swiftly along. And moving swiftly on, we have Temple of Doom, which we've covered previously. Yeah. Then he had, um, then he had the Color Purple, um, which was such a such a left field decision for Spielberg. You know, as he said, a huge fan of the book, yeah. loved the book. I wanted to make it, and I think at that moment in time, Spielberg, quite rightly, was so untouchable. Yeah. He, if you know, if he if he'd come around and said, "I want to make War and Peace, and I'm going to make it a twelve-hour cinematic experience," they would have gone, "Absolutely, Happy yeah, have at it." Right. I'm going to remake Zardoz. They would have gone. <laughs> but that that but right, and he's still one of the most powerful men in Hollywood, yeah. right? Yeah. And the colour purple, I whilst I don't think it was a financial miss, it it sort of was everybody could could sort of go, well it's a really good film, but and it was all it's always like a bet associated to it. Yeah. Because he he went through a little bit of a fallow period thereafter because he did he did well he produced and wrote the Goonies yeah. the same year as the Colour Purple. Um, after that, I mean, the color purple, mind you, you know, was a box office smash. Well, this is what I'm saying, but it's the thing is, when you talk about Spielberg, people overlook it. Exactly, right? My highlight Um, of the color purple, though, was my nan watching it because she was a big fan of opera. (laughs) Uh, Honestly. The convers trying to get it to say no, it's Oprah. Oprah, she's bloody my. I love her. I loves her. I love her. Look at her. Fab. She to tell the truth. See, she to tell the truth. But then, from the color purple until Hook, Hook. You know, there's a bit of a fallow period. Yeah, when you get Empire of the Sun. Uh, yeah. Which is which is a, again when you look at that film, when you look at Christian Bale's performance in that, is yeah. you know is fantastic. It's really good. Yes, it is really really good. You know, it's not an easy watch oh. though. No, and then you got you got always. They uh, no, was it? Uh, what's the? It's the smoke gets in your eyes, isn't it? No, it's just How? no. Right. 
And then, yeah, that was Hawk. it. They asked me how I knew. How I know the truth. Yeah, I remember the trailer for it. Yeah. Then you, then you, but then, the same year as always, you go, Last Crusade. Yeah. I think he kind of realised that he needed to do something there, didn't he? After, yeah. the, after the misery. Yeah. And then the, after after that, then he just goes back to being interstellar. Then doesn't yes. he with yeah. Jurassic Park, you know? Um, but it's it, yeah, it's it's a remarkable phenography when you think about it. Oh, you know, it's it's it's, it's true remarkable, and always something different. And, and, and latter Spielberg, even well, you, know, you know, yeah, like... you'll get the BFG, but then in between, you'll have the post. Which is which was on TV a couple of weeks back, and I watched it again. It's a terrific film, terrific, terrific film. Do you know what? I am really, really excited, and this is going to sound, you know, people will go, "What?" I am really excited to see what he does with West Side Story. I'm kind of intrigued because, I, as I said a million times over, I'm not a musicals. Uh, musicals just don't interest me. It's because you have no soul. <laughs> I got plenty of soul. <laughs> I'm just not a soldier. Hey, um, hey, you <laughs> And um, no, it, it is kind of it is kind of fascinating. I just it's 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 one it's one of those things that I don't think many people or anybody would sort of anticipate it being remade. Do you know what I think will be? I think West Side Story coming out now with America as it is, the story that it's telling, where it is set. <laughs> Um, is going to be very, very interesting. Yeah, I, and I think that's where it's going to hit, um, provided that cinemas are open. Well, um, interestingly enough, what's going to, uh, particularly in America, obviously cinema chains, the, the, the big cinema chains are looking like they're going to collapse. Um, and they've just changed the monopoly laws. Um, mm. in the US so the studios look like they're about to step back in and start buying the cinema chains well you've got that agreement of new with um, Universal Studios and AMC yeah because it was a big there was a big fallout wasn't it oh god over, yeah. yeah over of all things Trolls 2 going straight to video on demand and of course it, it hits at totally the right time Parents are home with their young children. Yeah. For the sake of 20 quid, they can watch it ad infinitum for the next six months. Yeah. Becomes a becomes a, a box office smash in the, in a in a weird sense of the word. But I think that the knock-on effect is, is that everybody's like, right, Tenet is going to be released in the cinema. We're going to see Tenet, and that was going to be the one to sort of reopen all cinemas. But I think what's put a real stick in the water here is that Disney announcing, I don't know where you're aware of this, the live-action remake of Mulan is going to Disney Plus in America. Yeah. All, yeah. Albeit, albeit that it's going to be video on demand, right? It could happen in the UK. It could happen in Europe. Albeit that certain parts are starting to reopen the cinemas and whatnot. Yeah. There's, I think there's a bit of a real kick in the teeth, man, for Disney because they made this decision, knowing they've spent best part of. Oh, it's. I think the budget for how it much? is is ridiculous. Yeah, and by all accounts, the film is supposed to be really, really good, really, really good, right? No, I was, I was, I don't think I've ever seen the original cartoon, 
but I know it's 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 well regarded. It's well liked. Let's get know? down to business to defeat the. And gotta love a bit of Donny Osmond. I've now gotta love him. Well, you love him, <laughs> and I'll just admit, I'll just sit back and just let you do your thing, right? <laughs> but um, what you've really really got to think is Disney now. I'm sort of relying on every single customer that they have on their Disney Plus platform buying Mulan for however much they're going to... I think it's $30 in America, right? It's a $200 million budget. Right, there we are then. So let's say, for example, they have 50 million customers. Yeah. They're relying on every single person buying Mulan. I mean, that's not going to happen. No, and I mean, what is quite interesting, actually, is like when we talk about like the monopoly, the, the reason why the studios that was broken up is to stop them having the monopoly on releases and those kind of things. That yeah, piece yeah. of legislation is gone. However, Disney sat outside of that because at the time when that legislation was passed, Disney wasn't didn't have a big enough presence. No, it's and only been in the last... 15, 20 years, I think, Disney started well, to really... the world. Yeah, yeah. You know. And, and, you know, the big fear amongst a lot of film fans, I think, is most people were thinking, oh, May 2020, we're finally going to see Black Widow in our own film. Yeah. And it's got a stellar cast. The trailer's been released. Looks, looks terrific. Yeah. Looks like real good popcorn fun. And, you know... Films like that and Mulan, you want to see it on a big screen. Absolutely, of course you do, of course you do. And it makes you wonder, well, if this pandemic and this lockdown continues, Tenet is going to get pushed back again because Tenet won't go on to video on demand. It no. will not happen. Warner Brothers can't afford it. Uh, cinema chains can't afford for a film like that to be going straight to video on demand because everybody wants to see the new Chris Nolan. It's as simple as that. Yeah. But the, 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 the bigger picture of it is, well, hang on. We've got Fast and Furious 28 on the back burner. We've got Bond 73 on the yeah. back burner. Now, we're talking there billion-dollar franchises. Oh, God, yeah. Right? They're not going to go to video on demand as well. No. But what happens with Steven Spielberg's I don't know what the budget is. It says $90 million, right? Steven Spielberg's $90 million version of West Side Story. What realistically could happen with her? Well, it'll be interesting to see how much clout the Spielberg still has. Well, it, it depends. I don't know I don't know which studio he's made it with, if I'm honest. I don't know whether he's gone to DreamWorks, you know. I think it's with a subsidiary. I'm sure it's, it's DreamWorks. You know, they're a subsidiary of um, Universal. So will they be pushing to do this this video on demand deal that they've got releasing the cinemas and then 30 days later it goes on video on demand? Which, if you remember when we were kids, right, films would go in the cinema, you wouldn't see them on home yeah, video. Yeah, 20th So it's Fox. So uh, Disney then? Yeah. And right, and use, a, use, a, use an interesting parallel to that. Have you seen Hamilton? Yes. Right? Disney bought... The, Ham- the, vi- the live version of Hamilton for seventy-five million dollars. Yeah, yeah, it was it was due to go into the cinema. Yeah, and Disney decided, 
we're going to put it straight on Disney Plus. Yep. So that's an original, and it is an original yeah. product in the film sense, right? We're going to put an original product on Disney Plus for seventy that has cost us seventy-five million quid. They did the same thing with um, uh, Artemis Fowl. Artemis Fowl. I was going to say Sir Chuckles' new film because he directed it. Um, but they did that. They did it with the remake, the live-action remake of Lady and the Tramp. Yeah. You know, it, it makes you wonder what's going to happen with West Side Story. Because it, I think it, was it due later this year? It's or due next later year? in the year. It's due, due later in the year. Due later in the year. I think they did. Because it, yeah. in the same breath, I'm going about it a long, long way, as was my one, but Dune is due out in December this year. I think it'll and get that, pushed back. I think it'll get pushed back because we've had no, no trailers. Nope. There's been only a couple of stills released. Yeah. Much like West Side Story, no trailer, um, a couple of stills, and that's been it. Now, are they purposely delaying because they don't want to have to release a trailer saying December 2020? Yeah. Well, well, I you know I don't think that anybody is. I don't think they can. They can. When you got look at the look at the the money that is behind these things or the amount is going to go. I don't think that they. It's Dune especially. The Dune. I don't think can. Well, I read and I, I was in the impression that Dune had been filmed as the two films that they announced. Right. They've only filmed one by all account. Well it'll be interesting to see what happens. Well watch this space. It's, it's intriguing when you think about it because you know West Side Story is known the music the music is in popular culture and has been for the best part of sixty years or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. You know, so just because it's got Steven Spielberg's name attached to it does that mean that we'll ever see it in the cinema? Mm. Now, here's the question. What are you going to score? Close Encounters of a Third Kind? I've pondered quite a bit on this because when I'm on here, it's very rarely that we do a film where it's not a guaranteed classic. Yeah. We have done, we've had, had the odd occasions where we've done aforementioned Doom. Yeah, <laughs> Battlefield Earth. Battlefield Earth. Uh, Watchmen. Um, what was that horror film we did? Uh, uh, it Follows. It Follows. Yeah. Every other classic film that we've done has been a nailed on 10. 10 out of 10. This is a 10. There's no question about it. Like, I can't. There's, there's, there's no way you can call it anything other than near perfection. And do you know what near perfection is about right? Because for me, it's a 9.5. I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with it. I wouldn't disagree with it. But I think if you're looking at like flawlessness, and I know people may say, well, you give it the Irishman 10 out of 10 and it's got flaws. Yeah, but... The Irishman, they're going back into that. <laughs> I, the Irishman is filmmaking of a kind you very rarely see these days. Very, very rarely see. And for that, that's why that's a 10 out of 10. But this is just 
just 10 out of 10. 10, out of 10. the reason i've given it a 9.5 is that big clunking moment in terms of the narrative for, for me it's mm. that idea it's just that moment where everybody's gone oh don't worry about it it's fine yeah no you, I, and I, I just I, can't get over that i just can't get, can't just uh, no i can't no i i i fully understand and i i get why but it's just I saw I, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I'm going to have to. Do you know, like when you scroll on social media and Facebook is terrible oh. for it, and they give you um, the top 10 films of, yeah. right? and they and knowing this was coming up, a Spielberg one came up. So the curiosity, I had, a, I had a look at it and I didn't write them down, but all I'll say is they had this in number six and they had Saving Private Ryan in number five. Hmm. And whilst Saving Private Ryan is not a bad film, far from it. It's a tremendous, tremendous war film, right? It's not Close Encounters. No, it's not Close Encounters. My problem with Saving Private Ryan is after they get off the beach. Well, that that scene, that that, that Omaha Beach, right? And historically, we're going to avoid that that curveball is stunning and when it came out nobody had seen a film being shot like that i think Mm -hmm. the closest you know there's been lots of war films and lots of sort of you know i think one of the closest sort of i think platoon is probably one of the closest or maybe platoon or maybe hamburger hill kind of capture some on the 4th of july perhaps no it doesn't capture that sort of that, that that idea of combat Oh, oh right, right, yes. Yeah, right, do you know yeah, what I mean? That yeah, that idea yeah. of that of it all going to shit around you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and you know that, that the absolute chaos. But when they get off that beach, up until that, up until they find Ryan, not it's it's kind of a bit dull. It, it is a bit meandering, isn't it? You've got you have got that that excellent scene in that ruins um, town where yeah. they sat in the building, the wall collapses. Um, to find Germans on one side and yeah. Americans on the other, you know, and they're not exactly quiet, so they only didn't hear each other. I don't know, but and then you've got the ending again, then which is as bombastic as the beginning. Yeah. Um, but it's it's it, again. I think you can lay claim to Saving Private Ryan being too little bit too saccharine. Yeah, there's a bit of, I think towards, I think the end, there's a bit too much flag waving. Yeah, yeah, very much. Well, it opens with a flag waving and ends with it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it it, it uh, does have that sort of like sick, and the other thing as well, I'm not a massive Matt Damon fan. He's not in it much. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, and it was like the, the number one, I forget what the number one was, but it got me wondering, it's like, could I do a definitive top five Spielberg? I don't know if I could, but no, I know I for think... a fact Jaws or Raiders would probably be one, jostling for one and two. Yeah. And then Close Encounters would definitely be top five. Oh, definitely yeah, top yeah. five. I mean, it, it's a pheno- it is a phenomenal piece. And it's culturally, I mean, God, it's in the, 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 the uh, Congressional Library. To be mm-hmm. preserved, it's that it, it, it's that important. Um, yeah, it is a phenomenal film. It is, you know, and yes, I'm being really, really nitpicky about the narrative of it, but 
it is it's a beautiful film in so many ways yeah yeah you know? it just it sounds and as you say john williams score just sings doesn't it just sings along and yeah. everything works everything works and there's there's, there's Harking back those kids' performances, yeah. we all know the trick the tricks used yeah. to get uh, Kerry Guffey and how how he got him to react to things. Uh, I'd love to know how they got him to react to saying goodbye to the spaceship. I don't know how he did that, but you know the performances are all sensational. Absolutely, all sensational. Absolutely, it's it's truly brilliant. It still looks amazing. Oh yes, it's totally. Still Totally. Still looks, still sounds, still is amazing. amazing Absolutely. Film. So, my friend, we have talked now for the best part of an hour and 37 minutes. <laughs> We've. It's been a good end, as always. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for being on, my brother, and we'll have you back on Not soon. Once. Cheers, man. You have a good day. Take care, man. Ta-ra, buddy. As always, I want to say a big thank you to my brother from another mother, Mr. Leighton Winston, for being on. Always a pleasure, never a chore. <laughs> okay, up next, we have got a very special uh, interview for you guys. And uh, this interview, um, I got a chance to sit down and have a chat with Charlie Steeds. Maybe you'll remember Charlie, who came on to the Blood and Black Lace episode. Um, and of course, Charlie is writer, director. And I got to sit down with friend of the show. An all-round, just incredibly nice guy, Mr. Derek Nelson, and talented actor as he is. And we got to have a chat about their new film, A Werewolf in England. Now, before I uh, play you guys the interview, let's check out the trailer for A Werewolf in England. Welcome to the Three Claws. I know these woods, sir. There's an old man up par. Storms prevented us travelling any further tonight. Three rooms, is it? Horace Raycraft. And this here is Archibald Witter. Tomorrow, he'll be sentenced to death. You don't know who you are, do you, lad? They're out there. Wolves like you ain't never seen. Tall as men and strong as giants. Wolves, you say? Not just any wolves. This thing stands at the very centre of their feeding ground. Every blood moon and the inn is full. We make an offering. I saw with my own eyes those innkeepers dismembering your coachman and plotting aloud to do the same to us. You're all gonna die, Councillor. What the hell is that? Werewolves. Men who turn to beasts under the spell of the moon. Now do you believe me? Run! And there's no getting away from the Thames tonight, nor any How is she? Incredibly hairy. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. And I am joined by two of my favourite people in the world. Yes, I'm, I'm not blowing smoke up their arse either. I genuinely been looking forward to the, recording this episode. I am joined by the mighty and powerful, the one, the only, 
Mr. Charlie Steeds, how the devil are you, sir? Very good, thank you. Thanks for having me back. No, no problem. No problem. No problem. No problem. Loads and loads of positive feedback about the Blood and Black Lace episode. People loved it. So oh. uh, it's great. It's great to have you back. And I said my favourite people, meaning there's two of them. And we are talking, of course, to the one, the only. He is the hardest working man in show business. He makes James Brown look like a lazy fucker. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the great and powerful Mr. Derek Nelson. Derek, how are you, my friend? I'm great, man. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. I have a lot of coffee. So uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll kick in at some point and you, I'll either burst into tears or my head will hit the desk and I've, I've completely uh, crashed. But um, yeah, all good. So we are talking um, about... <laughs> i got to be honest with you. I, I love a good werewolf film. I love a good werewolf. And there's never enough of them. Um, and we are talking about a great werewolf film um, that uh, you two had a bit of a hand in. Um, and we're talking a werewolf in England. And of course, Charlie, this is this is your baby. This is a film by you. Um, yeah. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And um, I'm going to be abs- I've, I've shamelessly plugged it to everybody I've spoken to so far because I think it's absolutely superb. It is absolutely superb. And I love. Um, I just love the whole vibe about it. And, uh, of course, Derek, mm-hmm. um, you were a werewolf, but you appeared to be all right. No! <laughs> I, sorry, I had to get that in. I am contractually obliged to have at least one really shit pun um, at some point. So, <laughs> so yes, you you were in this? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I got you know it was it was really interesting. Uh and I will get this out of the way. Um because obviously you know you play a werewolf mm-hmm. in this film. Mm-hmm. Um I was shocked um <laughs> when your posterior <laughs> appeared on my television screen. Yes. Um <laughs> and I hope then. Yeah, yeah, you know, H there's nothing quite like uh, HD. Um <laughs> And I gotta be honest, Derek, I'd be slightly worried. Yeah. I would be slightly worried about your ass, mate, because it appears to have a crack in it. Dum dum. Oh, there we there go. We go. <laughs> well, my wife thought I was perfectly cast because uh, when I tr- when the werewolf transforms, like he's still got quite a bit of hair on him. Yeah, yeah. You, so you didn't go for the sack back and crack then? Absolutely not. He <laughs> refused. He refused to shave. <laughs> Pretty shave, but he he would say he said he would do it, but not if he had to shave. Yeah, so that was my one requirement. For so doing the so he didn't, as you can see. Yes, <laughs> and I know like one of the you know the legendary um, sort of telltale signs of a werewolf is a hairy palm, mm-hmm. uh, but a hairy ass crack. Well, that's a new one on me. We're gonna is, set standards now with that. Yes, is that, so? Would you think that'll enter into werewolf lycanthropy uh, canon? A hairy ass crack is now a telltale sign. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, that, that scene was quite funny, though, because like, we were shooting in Cornwall in, was it March? Could have been March or February by that point. It was cold, is basically what I'm getting at. Uh, and yes. so I had to strip bare butt naked, but we thought, let's be kind of modest people. Um, so I had a, uh, what I aptly called a cock sock. <laughs> <laughs> my lovely bits, uh, and on the first take, dragging myself across the um, the chipboard, yes, which was covered in mud, uh, maybe some splinters, splinters. of glass. Yeah. Well, well, it's a 
a few days before, yeah. you knew this though. A few days before, I swept it. A few days before, <laughs> you in the costume smashed <laughs> loads of glass right over that area, <laughs> to crawl naked. So we were a little bit worried <laughs> about ah. the safety of the whole thing. Well, not too worried, but yeah. So I'm crawling down, and of course, cocksock just falls right off. <laughs> So uh, then we wanted a, a couple more takes, and I thought, well, fuck it. Let's not wear it. So I did that whole bit completely nude. You're a brave man, sir. You are a brave, brave I, I man. He's the real hero of that bit, um, the guy who plays Horace. Yes. He is the real hero because he, he got left, the whole show. stood at the top of the stairs with <laughs> dead, legs wide open, face down the stairwell, and he's aiming the gun and getting a full view of everything. <laughs> So, besides obviously um, sort of flagrant male nudity, where does Jai, where did the idea for this come from? Where did the, where did it originally germinate? Well, I met with the company High Flyers because we wanted to work together. We wanted to make a movie, and we were just we actually were just meeting in a Costa, having a chat over a coffee, and the idea just came up. From them, they said, well, how about a werewolf movie? Why don't we start off with doing a werewolf movie? Um, and, I, you know, I'm up for anything that's horror. You know, if yeah. you can get these companies to say we're going to fund it 100% of the movie and they're asking for something horror-related, like purely horror, like werewolves is, yeah. horror, then I'm totally up for it. And that was basically, aside from the fact that they've asked for a werewolf film, that is as far as their input went. Wow. So everything else was then left to me. So my, my first idea actually was that I already had a script set in the Victorian period where actually this script, this is a script that I almost shot a year before um, and then I shot An English Haunting in its place. Mm. Uh, but I came really close to shooting this script and it had Tim Cartwright playing Horace Raycraft, the same yeah. character. yeah film and it kind of has some similarities like it started off with the horse and carriage and he was going to be escorting a character to his court trial and they were sort of shackled together yeah i really loved this horace character so i thought well i'll just take horace and his whole thing over to another script um and they they basically uh it started off i was gonna put werewolves into the script i was gonna make before that's how it started off. But then as I was adapting that script to include werewolves, which mm. it didn't, I just came up with this whole new idea about this inn and the innkeepers and this pact that they have with the werewolves. And I just sort of came up with it from scratch and it just seemed like such a cool idea. So I just took the Horace Raycraft character, took him over to a different movie. Um, I did give High Flyers a few options other than Victorian period. I yeah. basically... There's different roads I could go with the werewolf. I could do a Victorian era mm. because I was thinking of that script I had already that was in the Victorian era. Or I could set it out in the snow and have like snow werewolves uh, with white fur. Or I could do like a post-apocalypse dystopian thing with werewolves with machine guns in body armor and stuff. I'm glad we um, didn't do the snow one because being naked in the snow would have been awful. Well, <laughs> Maybe there would have been no naked scenes, who knows. But, um, but they, they, went, they went with the Victorian idea and they, they said to me, because we were talking about what sort of a werewolf movie we want to do, because 
the, I know that these distributors, they can be a bit funny about violence and gore and all of that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, they, I'm, I think they didn't want it to be gory. They didn't want it to be violent. <laughs> I think they wanted it to be like a bit more mysterious. Um, the words they used was they said that they wanted the film to have shocks. So not violence. Right. Which, which, by which I think, I don't know, maybe I think they meant jump scares. I don't know. Okay. Um, but I said to them, it's a werewolf movie. Like, surely you're going to have the wolves like scratching people and biting people. There's going to be blood everywhere. You know, they said, they said, no, they don't want to sort of cheapen it and have it slashery. Um, and also they, I think they said, don't, don't do a horror comedy. They don't want it to be horror comedy. <laughs> so like I said, I was entirely left to my own devices because I, I, in fact, I said to them, I said, right, I've got a new idea for the script. It, I changed my mind at the last minute and I said, I got a new idea for the script. This is the idea. And they said, we don't like that idea as much. We strongly advise that you stick with your original plan. <laughs> they said, yeah, but this idea could be so good and blah, blah, blah. And the final word was, they strongly advise I stick with the original <laughs> you know, I think I'd learnt from when I made Vampire Virus. That was the film I made before this werewolf film. Yeah. I learned that, you know, if you don't sort of just follow your heart with what you think you want to really make... And, you know, with the vampire virus script, I sort of, I was limited to my freedom because there was a very specific, at least for the first half of the movie anyway. Yeah. And that actually determines a lot. It determined that it was set in modern times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it determined the whole tone of the movie. So with this werewolf one, I just thought, look, I'm going to just write whatever, like just as a horror fan, what do I want to see? What werewolf movie? And I wrote exactly what I wanted to write, which is a pure horror comedy, you know, gory, over-the-top action werewolf movie. So that's what it is. I mean, how... <laughs> Considering they said they didn't want any sort of gore or violence, so there is a scene here, and I, 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 <laughs> I don't know if you want, want people to discover it on their own, but um, that involves diarrhoea. <laughs> how did how did that go down <laughs> i don't i mean so right when you send the film off to the people that you made it for they tend not to give you any response at all i bet they didn't give me any fucking response <laughs> from that <laughs> well, I, well i'll tell you this i sent the i sent the guys the script even though they'd advised against this story i yeah. sent them the script and they loved it and they thought it was hilarious that's brilliant um, and obviously in the script it said, you know, the, the werewolf, you know, has a has a wet fart, a <laughs> river of diarrhea pours onto the characters' <laughs> heads and faces. Um, and they and they you know, they approved the script was approved, you know. Yeah. They loved it. yeah. It's just I wrote it sort of taking my own initiative. Um and then uh, yeah, you know, it turned into what it turned into. <laughs> I, I do you know what? I lo I I'm like I said, we we said off it. I loved the um, the entire you know the aesthetic of this. I thought the maison scene in this film was absolutely superb. I really really loved it. Um, it and the the you the measure of the gore and the horror and the comedy um, just absolutely nailed it. And I can't I, you know I really genuinely can't wait to see this once it gets that wider release and see where sort of um, 
people's reactions because it's absolutely superb. It's got a great sort of um, vamp, you know, like I said, uh, uh, Kronos Vampire Hunter, uh, yeah, yeah. to which I which I love. Which I love, Captain Kronos is a, one of my favourite Hammer films because yeah. it's just so twisted and silly, um, yeah. but it still has the feel of a Hammer film. Um, mm. Where did you draw your inspiration for this? Um, it's kind of a difficult question actually because, like you're saying, like it is so like every there's so many sort of not references in the film, but it's so specific what I'm trying to create and what I'm paying homage to. Yeah. And you've definitely seen this type of a movie and this type of a set and costume mm. before. Um, but having said that, I really can't pinpoint any specific film that inspired me. Um, Evil Dead 2 is one in terms of like the comedy. Yeah. And, and also I'd say everything that Evil Dead 2 has inspired since. Like, for example, there's a film I really like called Feast. Um, yes. Yeah, great film. That is, you know, it's clearly very Evil Dead 2 inspired. There's sort of like all kinds of bodily fluids spraying around, yeah. <laughs> you know, getting hose piped into people's faces and stuff. So that's where a lot of this sort of came from, you know, the diarrhea and <laughs> blood spraying everywhere. And um, I mean, I would say it's, it's not. None of my films are actually that inspired by Hammer Horror. You know, uh, it's it's one that like people always draw a bit of a reference, I guess, because I'm British and uh, Hammer is you know famously British horror and it's got the gothic and the colours. But I mean, as we know from our previous podcast talking together, Mario Bava and Lucio Fulci and Argento, those are my biggest inspirations. Mm, yeah. So I guess it's like um, you know a sort of a, a British mixture of we're bringing together that sort of like amicus and hammer horror sort of feeling to, uh, you know, with the, with the sort of visual style of these Italian films that I'm most influenced by. And certainly in terms of like the levels of gore, um, you know, it's, it's all inspired by the Italians. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I and, and you can see that and you can even, I think, you know, I don't know, you, you tell me it was your, you know, it's your film, but in terms of the particular, particularly with the lighting, as well, there is, there is definitely I I picked up that Argento vibe to, yeah, yeah. to the lighting, which which again all adds to this great sort of this feel and you know the the actual set itself was superb. It's you know the you know the fact that you know the, the, this everything is practical in this you know which I loved, which I absolutely love, and it's not done enough. And sort of speaking of the practical element of it, what was it like like to be all wolfed up then, Mister Nelson? <laughs> Um, well, first off, it was incredibly hard to see yeah. under these masks. So it was a lot of like uh, a lot of guesswork um, as well. Of like, basically, we, we'd go through the whole entire scene, uh, and I'd have to like memorize how many steps I would yeah. be taking, uh, just so like I wouldn't hit an actor or or I uh, bumped into the chandelier quite a few times. I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, it made for a few of the stunts to be a little bit. Um, scarier than than they would be uh but i think i think we got away with it all right yeah i mean in terms of the, you know because the physical roles yeah it's a very very hands-on physical role did you have to do did you need to do extra preparation for it or was it a case of uh, i'm was, just getting in there and doing it it was i think like the first kind of the first couple of takes it was a lot of like charlie trying to 
uh, work with me to like figure out what kind of look uh, we wanted for the wolves and how yeah. we want them to move um, and react to certain things. Uh, and what we discovered for this was that like basically a lot of movement, a lot of heavy breathing, um, a lot of like arms kind of always in motion yeah. made it look the best on, on camera. Mm. Um, I will say like, uh, I always found that what helped me get into character was making the noises underneath the mask. So yeah. I was constantly like growling and like <laughs> howling and doing really dumb stuff that obviously didn't make it into the film, but for me personally, really helped. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the feet were a bit tricky because they're quite bigger. It was like walking around in clown shoes the whole entire time, <laughs> uh, and the heads did fall off quite a few times during and, and screw up takes. Yeah. Yeah. The heavy action, like slashing and stuff. Yeah, the heads would just like pop off. Yeah. How long yeah. were you actually in the suit for? Uh, I would say a minute for, because I'm I'm not the only actor who plays. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, there's another guy, Sam Lane, did the majority of the other bits, and then mm. uh, a couple secret cameos that I don't know if I can reveal. Ah. Um, but I will say probably at least seventy percent of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least seventy percent. Um, and I would like, it was funny because, so we had to do some pickups this summer mm. uh, and I far preferred doing the werewolf in the winter because yes. you're, like, <laughs> you're doing all this very physical stuff and like working up a sweat and the costume is, um, can get quite warm. So it would counteract all the cold, right. but then when it's already warm out, you're like, Oh my God, dude, you're just sweating buckets, man. That's nice. So in terms of the cast, um, you, you know, you, the cast in this is great. You've got yeah. to, you know, um, and it was interesting to see the blend of the the comedy and the, you know and the and, and the drama element. It's quite mm. difficult. How did you find directing both uh, comedy and some of the you know the, the more dramatic elements? Was that a you know was did you have to take a different approach to that, or was it a case of that the actors came in, they were prepared? How did you come about that one? I think everyone who read the script just <laughs> from the script, they sort of. They just got what it was. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of in some ways, you know, one it is experience of like, you know, having made a certain amount of films. Mm. But I think we've just got to the point where I've written this script. I had a tone in mind. And yeah. you know, as you're describing, you know, the tone, we just hit the tone and it kind of mm. came easy, the tone. And everyone was on the same page. We knew what we knew exactly what this was, exactly what level of comedy but, you know, it, you, you could consider it a fairly difficult tone to achieve because it's got to be funny, but also there's the drama and there's, like, you know, st clearly a, a storyline going through and all the different characters, of which there are many, yeah. have very specific things. Everyone's on their own sort of journey. You know, everyone's everyone's going through their own little transformations. Mm. Um, none of the characters, no, not many of the characters anyway, are sort of, totally one dimensional like they all they all uh go through something with mm. the film have their own little story um so we just responded to the script and and from there it was just kind of it was kind of it just came it was it was easy enough i mean the cast uh, apart from reese Connolly, who's the lead character archie yeah um, and i've and 
I've never worked with Reese, but this is actually Reese's first movie. He's never been on screen ever. You'd never believe it, would you? No, if- no, and and I mean, I you that is that is a hell of a leap, isn't it? Sort of, you know, in terms of your first on role is you know horror comedy werewolves, pra- yeah. heavy practical effects. He was uh, doing tons of stunts as well because he played a wolf. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Anytime you don't see the wolf's head, uh, it's Reese. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Uh, there's a few like inserts that we did on pickups. He, but plays, I would say... he plays mostly his own wolf at the end oh, of yeah, the stand yeah, yeah, yeah. well, That's yeah. a bit of a spoiler. We won't go into that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I basically, I saw Reese on stage a couple of times and I just thought this guy is so good. He's like so charismatic. And um, when I wrote the script, I, I knew I wanted somebody like Reese to play the role. Obviously I couldn't be, a hundred percent sure that it was going to be Reese that was going to audition and and pull it off. Yeah, but I pretty much had he was in mind right from the beginning, from even before writing it. I knew I wanted somebody like Reese to play it. He was always there as a potential. Um, and aside from him, every single other character was written for specifically. So I'm I'm writing what I know this character. I'm writing what I know the actor can do. Yeah. Um, you know, Tim Cartwright is another example. Um, I'd worked with him a couple of times before. He was on The Barge People playing mm. a really evil character, sort of like very downbeat, evil guy. And in this, okay, he's got the mean and the evil side, but he is also the comedy, the mm. main comedy point of this movie. He's got all the funny lines, really. Plus yeah. Lots of fight scenes as well. Um, like, lots he of... handled that like a champ. Well, he did. He absolutely did. But on the set of The Barge People, we'd be, you know, while we were sort of blocking through scenes or setting up lights, Tim, who's playing this evil character, we'd cast him because he sounds evil and he looks evil. Yeah. You know, you turn off camera and there he would be, hopping around like a 12-year-old, like overexcited 12-year-old, singing and dancing. (laughs) And it's like, since that moment, I've been thinking, oh, I've got to write something for Tim that allows him to just, he's so, for a man in his 60s, he's so full of energy and humor. And I just want to, I wanted to get a character across that uh, brought all of that to the screen, which, which it, you know, it totally came through. But yeah, just the fact that I'd written the characters for these people, they all said yes, they're all available. They all came and did it. It was it was exactly uh, everything was exactly as I wanted it to be. That, and what I love, you, you can actually you can kind of get that now that you can see that because there's no fluffed lines. Yeah. Because that occasionally, particularly with horror comedy, you, there are some there are some gags that when you, they go clang, they don't land. Um, yeah. And and sort of comedy is one of the hardest. I, I've always always felt comedy is one of the hardest things to pull off and pull mm. off well. Um, I think Tim Cartwright's performance in this is great. Um, And he's got a brilliant character actor's face. Yes, yeah. He has got that sort of, you know, it's almost, you know, obviously not knowing the person he did personally, but but it's like a face that's that's lived. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) He has the scars of humanity upon him, and it sort of fits perfectly with this type of character. Well, I love, I mean, when I'm casting an actor, I love specific faces i love striking faces mm. um, and i love striking voices as well yeah you know, 
the same thing could be said of Reese. You know, mm-hmm. he has a really, really striking face. Yeah, uh, like his actual just his whole facial features is all striking. And you know, the same could be said of someone like I mean, I've worked with Barrington Delaroche so many times now. But um, just look at this guy. He's walked out of a gothic horror movie. Oh, absolutely. And even his name, Barrington Delaroche, is just, you know, I think he could quite easily play a villain in a Musketeers movie with a name like that. It's just, and again. He's the naked guy, though, because my butt is so striking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, you were saying that. More importantly. I, Derek, the, the the images of your naked rear end are sort of seared into my brain. I went blind for twenty minutes while my brain tried to protect itself. Oh, oh no! <laughs> but uh, not the. Will blind you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Barrington Delaroche is uh, you know again a great character actor, um, yeah. and his scenes with his sister are brilliant, um, <laughs> and there's that sort of. There's that almost sort of you get that kind of ego vibe from him yeah. at the beginning, and then it changes, and then it obviously you know it clearly shows that he's much you know he's the much cleverer, more devious kind of character underneath it. it. It's it's a really great example of what the horror comedy genre can do, um, because actually the, the the genre is very you know it, 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 there are more misfires in uh, in the genre than there are hits. Yeah, because you don't want it to fall into spoof or parody. Yes, and I think the thing is, you've at the heart of it, you've got to, is that you've got to have the love of horror and the love of the story you're telling. Like this is a horror story. Yes, you know, there, there is a there's a whole tale to tell here. Um, but on top of that, I've then added the comedy. Whereas I think a lot of people's horror comedy movies, it's like they've opted to do comedy because it's easier or the film's so bad and B movie that people are going to laugh of it, laugh at it anyway. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it doesn't take itself seriously from the get go. But I, I mean, I actually think if you look at the DVD cover and stuff for this film, it's going to come as a shock to people that mm-hmm. it's comedy. Um, because it doesn't, it's not being sold as a comedy. Even the trailer I've been asked specifically to remove all comedy elements from the trailer. Mm. So the whole intention is to sell it as a straight horror movie. This is because horror comedy, uh, the market's not so good for horror comedy, but I, you know, obviously I made the film, but you, you don't know whether or not it's going to work out. But me from my own bias opinion, because I wrote the thing when I watch it, the jokes, they've come out as I intended them to everything lands, you know, and of all my, I mean, I've not tried an outright comedy before, but of all my of all my films, I just wanted this film to be a film where you put it in, and you just have a fun time. You know, doesn't matter about the budget, doesn't matter about you know the B movie aspects of it. You're just gonna if you're a horror fan, you're just gonna t- turn this film on and hopefully have a blast. That yeah. was the intention. And I mean, I came into this completely blind, completely blind. Um, obviously, I knew um, you know Derek was in it, and I was you know really looking forward to sort of. Uh, seeing him seeing him all uh, wolfed up and I'm a big fan of the werewolf genre anyway mm. um, and I had a blast I had an absolute blast with it like I said the tone for this is very very much is spot on um, and the reverence to the horror genre 
um, mm. is there. And, you know, this could quite easily play played out as a straight horror, um, yeah. e- even if you, you remove the, the comedy elements from it. But those comedy elements add so much to it mm. and, and, and sort of deepens it and adds different layers. And, you know, the 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 performances in this are are, are really good and are are a, are a level above what you sometimes get in sort of lower but in the lower budget end of of cinema and, yeah. and film and you know again it's you know i take my hats off to you guys because it, it's a great it's a great film it's a really enjoyable film it's a, it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun thank you so what's up next for you guys then <laughs> well well we're on a bit of a we're on a short break between projects mm-hmm. but the thing is as we come to the end of lockdown and uh well we, we are sort of at the end of lockdown i think I we're guess. like a hump of we're in and out of lockdown <laughs> as we come to the end of this it's kind of it's an uncertain time mm-hmm. um there i mean i'll tell you i have more potential projects lined up by companies and stuff than I ever have had. You know, usually by the time I finished an edit, which I've I've really only just finished editing this werewolf film, yeah. and it's into DVD so so fast. A week from um, now. Well, it's a week from today. a week from today of the time of recording this. But even just from you know the last day of editing, it's mm. five weeks, six weeks, and then the film's out there, which is wow. just insane. Because wow. usually I wait at least a year until yeah. I film come up onto dvd um but uh now that i've finished this movie um it's usually i've got the next one lined up and i jump straight into it but um i i do know what i'm doing next um but i also have i have a load of things sort of like circling and i'm just sort of waiting to see which one it's going to end up being i'm on the cusp of you know about to confirm which i will do next but i'm hoping you know lockdown hopefully not getting in our way uh, it's <laughs> gonna be not. a very very busy time so mm-hmm. right now just having a very very short break well a well-earned break may i add a well-earned break and mr nelson what what have you got lined up uh well basically kind of wait until charlie says we got the go-ahead for the next one um <laughs> And then, uh, and then you and I might be uh, cooking something up for next year. Yeah, I, I, I think it's. I would pr- say we're more in the ninety percent mark. I think it would take uh-huh. a, a considerable uh, natural catastrophe, another yeah. bloody pandemic, to stop it going ahead. But we, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Prodding along. Yeah. Um, and then there's a few other things that, depending on you know uh, the way things go with um, with our lovely lockdowns, yes. that, that will kind of determine um, where they land if they if they land in this year or early next year. Yes. Um, yes. It's just, I mean, like everybody else, we're all stuck in a little bit of a pickle, you know. Yeah, it's a difficult one. So when is the release date? Uh, for our wolf-like, our lycanthropic, uh, lycanthropic adventure. Where, when's the general release date for it? On the twenty-eighth of September, in the UK. Mm-hmm. That nice. is when you can get it on DVD, not VOD. That's coming a little bit later. Excellent. But 
DVD in the UK comes first, and that's where you, that's when you can go and get it. And where can the good people purchase such a DVD? Um, all the usual places, uh, HMV and Amazon, and uh, you can I think Asda and Morrison's are the two nice. shops with pocket, but it, it could be more supermarkets. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess we'll find out on the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Gentlemen, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It's been great. Um, and uh, no doubt you'll be appearing on the podcast at some point. Um, and we need, we need to sort of arrange a date to get you back on, Charlie, to talk about some uh, some more Italian horror. And oh, yeah. Derek, that Mortal Kombat episode, we definitely need to, get it, we need to get it booked in and get it sorted so we can come and uh, we yeah. can talk about that. So, yeah, uh, too. That would be amazing. So thank you, guys. I appreciate you giving up your time. Oh, thank you. Thank no you for worries. having us on. No Thanks problem. Up. You take care now, guys. I'll speak to you, you soon. Well. You too. Bye. Wow. Um, it was. It's always great talking with those guys, and I can't wait because they're going to be definitely back on the show very, very soon. So after a longer episode than normal, uh, thank you for staying with us. <laughs> All that is left for me to say is take care of each other, look after each other, be kind to each other. It's tough out there at the moment. So in the immortal words of Count Dracula, good night out there, wherever you are. <laughs>